Hi, and welcome to Cornerstone Ministries Young Adult Podcast. We hope this serves as a resource for you as you seek, find, and grow in your walk with Jesus. Tune in for sermon audios from our young adult services and other original content. If you already have a home church, we're glad this can be another tool for you. But if not, we hope that you would check us out online at cornerstonelive.net or join us in person. Cornerstone is in Murraysville, PA, and services are Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Our young adult ministry gathers every other Tuesday at 7 p.m. We hope you find some helpful tools through this message on seven filters in decision making. I was really excited to um, be jumping into this tonight, getting a little more hands-on practical with our Understanding God's Will series. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to next month. Um, you know, in, in a couple of weeks when we do the guys only night, getting into this concept of understanding who we are wired to be as godly men and not getting that reality uh, twisted and, and, and shifted and um, just influenced by the world's definitions of manhood and, and masculinity and what that all looks like and, and kind of getting down to the truth of it. And then ladies, you're going to be looking at a similar concept as far as how God has wired you as women and not getting that twisted and where that's going to lead us over the next couple months, just in not getting God's design of dating and marriage twisted, God's uh, design for sex twisted, all the different topics we're going to be hitting through that series. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but before we get into our topic for tonight, and we're going to be digging into seven filters and making decisions, um, kind of give us a, a quick recap of our series. Week one was the reality that God deals with uh, God deals with us in, in His will, what He delights in for us, what He takes pleasure in for us, that His primary function in His will is a pasture, that He leads us to a place to graze. And as long as we stay within the pasture, we are in the will of God. And that there are moments He calls us over, He calls us out to specific patches of grass to say, hey, this over here is better, and I want you to come try that. Um, but then week two, we dug in somewhat uncomfortably, but also really beautifully into the reality that God wants to take all of our hurts and past experiences and he empowers them for our holiness, for the purpose of making his name renowned. Um, And then our last time, two weeks ago, we kind of looked at how there is harmony and unity, there's beauty in our desires and plans and goals. And how God can use those. And we talked about your, the concept of how you're wired, how God has gifted you with um, spiritual gifts and natural abilities, your passions, your personality, your experiences, how all those things work together. But I wanted to get very practical this evening. And how do I, when I wrestle with all that, and I understand that God has drawn me into a pasture, he's given me freedom to graze, but how do I still go about making those big decisions? Should I be with this person? Should I not be with this person? Should I choose this school or this school, this job, this job, this profession, this profession? You know, whatever those things might be. So some practical steps in this. Now, as we go through these, these might seem almost common sense. But you know what's strange to me is if some of these aspects are so simple and so basic, why do we just drop the ball on a daily basis at actually applying them, you know, actually living them out? Um, So these are going to come in the form of questions as we're kind of processing through some of these big life decisions. Now, these can be applied to the daily little nitty-gritty of life, but what's going to happen is if you start to implement these 
and these bigger questions, these bigger thoughts and ideas of life, and you let it trickle down into the smaller day-to-day stuff, then what you're going to see is you're going to start to see your actions and your thoughts and your speech start to be transformed as the Lord has been working on your heart and your identity. Okay, so the first, the first filter that I want to talk about is, like I said, it's fairly simple, but we fail to do it so often, is wrapped in God's Word. Are there any conflicts or admonitions from Scripture? And there's going to be a slide at the end of this um, where all seven of these are going to be listed out. Um, but the first one, are there any conflicts or admonitions from Scripture? Like I said, it seems rather basic, but then why is it we struggle to, to walk this out on a daily basis? Uh, Psalm 119, verses 33 to 35, it says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. And I love David's verbiage and how he talks about God's word throughout the Psalms. That he loves the commands of God. He takes delight in the commands of God. He is led by his statutes. Now, at surface level, this seems really basic, right? Especially in the areas where scripture is black and white. Okay, so you think an era like alcohol. Okay, so drunkenness is a sin. That's, that's black and white in scripture. But then you have a lot of different views on fully abstaining from alcohol or not. So then how do you, how do you remedy that? How do you kind of walk through this, this filter when there is clearly gray in the mix? Okay, and in that regard, that guys, that's where we have to lean into the concept of a stronger brother, weaker brother that's laid out in Romans. Um, and if you haven't heard that idea before, the reality is, is that you are going to have different experiences by different people and that's going to give you a different perspective on a particular issue. Okay, so, so let's stick with the issue of alcohol, so to speak. Um, so drunkenness is a sin, that's black and white. But then for you to make that decision of, well, what else is black and white? Illegal drinking age, okay? Bible is clear on to obey the laws of man unless they negate the law of God. You know, the law of God trumps the law of man. Um, but so to, to uh, underage drinking, sinful. You're breaking the law of man. Uh, drinking for drunkenness, sinful, okay? But to be 21 and to sit down and you want to have uh, a glass of wine or you want to have a beer, is there sin in that? Well, that's where things start to get gray and things start to get a little tricky, right? So in this concept, and if you guys remember some of the background on Romans, Paul's writing this to a group of people, you know, the church in Rome, the Jewish believers had left Rome for five years. Okay, Emperor Claudius had, asked, had kicked all the Jews out of Rome. They come back to a very different looking church because the Gentile believers had been running the show for five years. So now Paul's trying to remedy their relationships as they're wrestling through um, traditions and attire and diet and all these different things. So in the middle of Romans, Paul dives into this concept of stronger brother, weaker brother. That if you do not have a personal conviction, if you do not have a personal conviction then is it sinful for you to just have a drink? I would argue the scriptures would say no. But what's clear is that we are called not to be a stumbling block to a brother or sister in Christ. 
And Paul uses the example of diet in the sense of, okay, if you're a Gentile and you don't have dietary restrictions based on your belief, go ahead, eat whatever you want. But if you're going to sit and have fellowship with the Jew who's then going to wrestle with that and have difficulty in that, don't be a jerk. Just don't eat meat with that person around. Okay, so when we ask this question of are there any conflicts, admonitions from Scripture, at surface level it seems really basic, but we have to be willing to put in the time to dig into Scripture to work through the gray. Okay, the black and white's easy, but digging into the gray, that's where we got to take some time. Okay, so the first one, any conflicts, admonitions from Scripture. The second has to deal with our wise counsel. What are people saying? Your parents, if they are walking with Jesus, your spiritual friends. But guys, the the main core of this is your wise counsel. Because the way the Holy Spirit works is through confirmation. And even even in the big decisions, the Holy Spirit works through confirmation. But in little things as well, Proverbs 24, verses 5 and 6. A wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might For by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Okay, and we have a ton of other passages we could go to. As You know, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 talks about how two is better than one. If one man falls on his own, how can he pick himself up? But if one falls and there is a brother with him, he can help him get back up. So the concept of having counsel, having a wise counsel with you, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. Um, all these different passages that point us to this idea of developing a, a team of people around you to be a sounding board as you're trying to go through some of these day-to-day decisions and some of these big life choices. But even for me, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, that originally I was thinking about being a high school math teacher and how terrible that would have been. And it started with one woman. With one woman in my church at the time, and I was discipling her younger sons. I was a senior in high school, and who, her two boys uh, were in seventh grade and fifth grade. And it started with just hanging out with them and having conversation with them. And then this woman, she came and she told me one day, she said, I think, I think you should be a youth pastor. And I had already been kind of wrestling with like just not being sure of, of where to go and, and what direction to lead as far as calling and profession, everything like that. And then I went to my youth pastor at the time and said, hey, can you kind of tell me about this? Do you see any of this in me? And he said, I can see it in you, but if you're not going to be serious in this, like if you're not going to take this calling into ministry seriously, then I'm going to, you know, drive you away from that as hard as I can. But I started to have these little moments of consistency, of confirmation in multiple people. And these weren't like, you know, peers, buddies of mine going like, oh man, you'd be such a good youth pastor. No, these were older, wiser. These were, like I said, the epitome of wise counsel speaking in in these moments to say, yes, I can see this for you. Now guys, we're not talking about like, um, I guess you could say an extravagant like prophetic voice coming in like, oh man, Brennan, the, the, the Lord gave me a word for you. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, just sitting down, talking it through, praying it through with people, and then coming naturally to the similar conclusions I am because the Holy Spirit is stirring in them what he's stirring in me. Because our God is a God of order. 
And the Holy Spirit functions in the way of confirmation. Now, there's almost a caveat to this, right? Because, guys, here's what gets so difficult. Here's what gets so difficult. Is there can be moments where you feel like you're being stirred and you're getting no confirmation from people. You, there can be moments where you feel like you're being stirred in something and you're getting no confirmation from people. And I want to put a pin in that because these other filters are going to help us narrow that down. So the first one, are there any conflicts or admonitions from Scripture? What is your wise counsel saying? Number three, are there any promptings from the Holy Spirit? Are there any promptings from the Holy Spirit? What is God stirring up inside of you? I love how the Gospel of John describes Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And then a little while down, 14, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to intercede on your behalf and bring you to a deeper level of understanding, right? But... It's not that there's a burden that falls on us, but there's a calling that falls on us to keep in step with that Spirit. Galatians 5, verses 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, and guys, for a long time, I really wrestled with this passage all right, and I, I want to I camp out on this just for a moment. I want to pause here and talk about this for a moment. Because if you look at this passage, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we process through that verse logically, the implication is I can fall out of step with the Spirit. And that the, the first time that reality kind of sunk in was a, a terrifying moment. But then on the backside of that, it actually enhanced and strengthened how beautiful the gospel is. Okay, so Luke, come here. Um, I uh, asked Luke to help me with this earlier just to help kind of illustrate this concept that the concept of us each being on a journey with the Lord. Okay, so if, if I'm functioning, just for this example, I'm the Holy Spirit on Luke's behalf. Um, if I'm functioning the Holy Spirit, we're on this journey together. I am leading him what, Lord, lead me in the path of righteousness, right? I am leading him in the path of righteousness. So if I'm going to live by the Spirit, I'm going to keep in step by the Spirit. He's going to be following the Spirit with him. But then along the way, you can get distracted and you lose sight of what, you know, whatever it may be. Here's where the fear kicks in, right? Of, wait, 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 if I can fall out of sync with the Spirit, am I now, like, am I lost on the journey? No, because the beauty of the gospel is the Holy Spirit almost returns to collect us, right? And like get us refocused back on task and say, okay, let's sync up again. Let's get back on track, right? He leaves the 99 to go and collect the one. 
The concept of a shepherd, the sheep strays off. Sometimes he's got to break a leg, carry you, and bring you back. So that kind of realigning, getting you refocused and back in step with the Holy Spirit, back in sync with the Holy Spirit, can be uncomfortable and jarring, but yet it's, it's such a beautiful piece of the gospel. You're so uncomfortable. You can go sit down. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> um, stuck the landing. So guys, I, I need you to track with me here. So these filters and making decisions. Okay, conflicts, admonitions from Scripture. What's my wise counsel saying? Are there promptings from the Holy Spirit? All right. Now you see where the wise counsel is starting to come into play and how these start to merge and, and work together. If the Holy Spirit's stirring something in me and I trust that my wise counsel is proactively pursuing Jesus, then the Holy Spirit should stir in them and there should be confirmation. And I've sat in on leaders' meetings and team meetings where as we were trying to come to a decision on something, it was almost like dominoes where one person would mention something and the Holy Spirit would stir in the group and it was like, yes, yes, that makes sense, absolutely. And we'd end up leaving that meeting all on the same page. Probably the, the best example of this was, um, I want to say it was about three years ago now. Yeah, it was about three years ago. And not to you know make anybody grossed out or anything like that, but Myself, three of the other pastors at my former church, we went to this kind of business building downtown, meeting in this conference room, and we just locked ourselves away for like eight hours to recast vision and figure out the direction for the church. And like halfway through the meeting, I just went to the bathroom and threw up. And then I, I, there was no way I was going to drive. I actually, in that meeting, I spiked at like 104 fever. So I'm laying in the corner of this conference room, and the guys are still talking about this. And literally in the middle of like, man, I think God's calling us to do more. Like, and I turn and grab the trash in the corner. Lexi has to come and pick me up in the middle of this meeting. And I'm, then one of my uh, coworkers had to drive me back downtown to pick up my car later that week. It was just miserable. But before I got sick in that meeting, we were just wrestling for hours of like, where is God leading us? But the moment that we kind of saw what the target was, and where we ultimately landed. There was so much unity in that decision because the Holy Spirit was stirring something in us and there was confirmation in that. Now, in those situations, you have to, I've also been in meetings where there was clearly some unity going on. Clearly the Holy Spirit was stirring something and there was confirmation happening. And there was one Grumpy Gus. There was one guy who just was holding everything up. And the most difficult thing is then trying to, trying to reason through and figure out and discern where is the Holy Spirit actually leading? Are, is this group of people over here just excited about a good idea and the one guy holding it up is the one being stirred? Or is this the one who's just not in sync in the moment and has to get on board? So you see how this concept of wise counsel and prompting from the Holy Spirit, you know, these filters, guys, they're going to assist us along the way, but there's no exact formula that's going to give you a clear-cut answer every time. This is going to help us narrow the field, all right? So conflicts from Scripture, wise counsel, promptings from the Holy Spirit. Number four, 
what would be the most spiritually advantageous decision? Basically, what's going to make me more like Jesus? What's going to push me on that journey towards holiness? What's going to sanctify me in the best possible, possible way? Philippians 4.8 kind of serves as like our super filter. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. And guys, where I think we sell ourselves short is when we minimize the things God is preparing in us simply because traditionally the church has labeled those tasks as less. Now, yes, Scripture points to the reality that those who are called to teach the word are held doubly accountable. Not more important, there's a higher standard. Elders being above reproach. You see these type, you know, those types of passages. But what I mean by that is we say, well, okay, well, what's going to be the best for my holiness? And we sell ourselves short to think, well, for me to run a daycare isn't as spiritually significant as being a children's ministry director. So then is me trying to pursue running a daycare, is that going to be the most spiritually advantageous decision? Is that going to make me the most like Jesus? And we can sell ourselves short in those situations instead of recognizing the beauty of, man, praise God, he has given me a heart and a passion and a burden for something. And I have the opportunity to carry the name of Jesus into this field, all the while finding community and fellowship in the local church, worshiping Jesus, serving Jesus in the church, and I get to be light in the darkness, and then I get to come to the church and be refreshed. So we sell ourselves short, and we almost struggle to make decisions because we think, well, it's a, it's a secular job, or it's a secular field, or it's not that important. But guys, there's nothing greater and more beautiful than living out the wiring that God has for you. Paul says in Ephesians, what? You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So instead of simply finding joy of life as you carry the name of Jesus into the ventures he's leading you into and simply walking in them, we go, okay, but uh, is there a better one? If God has wired you for it, if God has placed you in front of it, and he's saying, go, then that's the best option. That, that is the best one. But we're afraid to take a step because, I'll be honest, sometimes I don't know why. Maybe it's just indecision, but we really limit ourselves in that capacity. So, I'm going to keep moving. Conflict from Scripture, wise counsel, prompting from the Holy Spirit. What's going to make me the most like Jesus? What would be the most spiritually advantageous decision? Number five, do circumstances line up with the previous question? Do circumstances line up with the previous question? Now, guys, this is where I got to give you some caveats. You got to hang, hang with me here. Filters five, six, and seven, they're going to help us narrow down our field. But this is where you have to really lean into one through four. Because the reality is sometimes we're going to have to make decisions even though the circumstances don't make sense. Even though the circumstances don't make sense. And sometimes the Lord is going to make it abundantly clear and he's going to open a door, he's going to open a way for you 
in a beautiful moment for you to walk out that, that path, that journey, simply in peace. Maybe it's through the form of a big scholarship. But he's going to open a way for you to simply walk out in something. Maybe it's through clarity in a, in, in a singular moment. A door is shut for you. So the circumstances you don't really have control over. But then you look at passages like Matthew 4, 18 through 22. You think about the calling of the disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Those are cruddy circumstances. You just abandoned your job, your possessions, your livelihood. The circumstances made no sense whatsoever, but the stirring that was happening in them as God was calling them into something deeper, they said, forget the circumstances. This is too big. This is too incredible not to dive into. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, Immediately they left the boat and they follow and, and their father and followed him. So even though in our flesh we take into account the circumstances, we take into account the doors being opened and the doors being shut, there's this balance and this willingness to say, hey, even if the circumstances sometimes don't make sense, if God's stirring me, I gotta go. Number six, are there any negative or harmful, irreversible consequences? Are there any negative or harmful, irreversible consequences? So on the surface, common sense, right? Hey, is this decision, am I going to destroy a relationship in this? Am I going to hinder somebody's walk with Jesus in this decision? Am I going to put myself in a position where I am not going to be able to bear the name of Jesus with boldness and confidence? Is this going to put my life at risk? Is this going to put my wife, my kids, is this going to put my loved one's lives at risk in any way? This past weekend, I had an opportunity to uh, go and speak at this camp. And on the way back, we were coming up Route 76, and, and um, my wife was craving some KFC. And, and so instead of taking the, the road up to Greensburg and getting back home, we swung out towards Irwin. And as we were getting off 76, coming around the bend, it was like 7.30 at night, we're coming around the bend onto uh, 30, onto Route 30, and there's a Sunbelt Reynolds right on that exit. This was a Sunday night. As we're coming around the bend, I look up, and there's a bunch of guys hanging out in the parking lot, and I just remember so vividly the way my, the, the headlights of the van, Lexi was driving, I'm in the passenger seat, the way the headlights catch the crowd, I vividly see this guy, I, I don't know how old he was, but he picks something up and then shoots something at our car. And it, it must have been a pellet gun or something like that because we heard what sounded like a rock hitting the side of our van, so we immediately pull over. And I just in a moment of just rage, I just yell at this guy. Like, I have two toddlers and a baby in the car. And I think he yelled something out in response. So my wife and I, we pulled up a little further and, and we, we called the police, gave them a report, you know, because we were worried about, you know, uh, two feet up, it would have shattered our back window right by our daughter's head. And we were worried about it could have caused somebody to have an accident. I mean, you're coming 30, 40 miles an hour off this exit. Um, one mistake, though, I didn't get the follow-up from the police, so I have no idea what, what happened. 
Um, but I don't know if it was a paintball gun, a pellet gun, or what. But in that moment, the, the, the consequences in my mind were, were completely irrelevant of that decision. And it was just a natural instinct of protecting my family. And now I'm not stupid. I'm not going to drive over into a parking lot with 20 guys and get out as 5 foot 10, 180 pounds and go, who shot at my car? Um, see, that was using filters to try and make good decisions. <laughs> but again, Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay, you make decisions based on the flesh, there's going to be consequences for that. But just like the circumstances, there are going to be moments where you have to make a decision regardless of the consequences. Probably one of the most jarring, you know, ideas of this is the reality, you know, sometimes you're asked this question or your mind goes to this place of, man, would I die for my faith? And usually that's as far as we let our minds wander with that question. Um, but I had this professor in college once who took it to a whole new depth that I couldn't really appreciate until I had um, a wife and kids. And he, and he said, would you die for your faith? He said this to our kind of our biblical worldview class, freshman year in college. And of course, we're all sitting there thinking like, I think so, I hope so. And then he says, no, 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 before you answer that question, if you're sitting at home on the couch with your family, somebody breaks in, puts you all on your knees in the living room, and puts a gun to your head and says, renounce your faith or I'm going to kill you. Are you going to die for your faith? And that moment, we're, we're taken back, a little jarred, but it's still kind of, oh, I hope so, I would think so. And he says, nope. Then whoever this person is, he turns the gun on your wife and children and he says, renounce your faith or I'm going to kill them and then I'm going to kill you. And the room's dead quiet like it is now. And the professor at this point, he's, he's kind of like acting this out. At this point, he's weeping and I couldn't process this at the time, the way he's processing this and telling this. And he says, I hope in that moment I have the depth of faith and the trust in the faith of my wife and children that I could look at them and say, I love you, I'll see you in a minute. And the, the reality of if God calls us into something, sometimes the circumstances, sometimes the consequences are completely irrelevant. But yet in our flesh, they can, they can help us kind of draw attention to where we need to focus. Man, there's no smooth transition out of that. All right, last one, last one. Once you've made the decision, can you make it work? Are you processing the ripple effect of those decisions? Not just the immediate consequences, not just the immediate circumstances, but where's this gonna go a year from now, two years from now? Okay, hey, I'm deciding to live off campus, but that means I have to get a job. So what's that gonna look like in regard to my course load? Am I going to be able to make this work? Or in a month, am I going to be in depression and stress and anxiety because I can't balance job and school and the budgeting and all that? 
And where my mind goes immediately with this, um, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but is Philippians chapter 1. And throughout Philippians 1, throughout Philippians 1, you see kind of this, this depth of commitment in Paul to say, hey, look, you know, look at what's happened to me because of the advancement of the gospel. And even though he knew the potential risk and consequences of the decision, he said, what? No, well, now that I'm in prison, okay, I'm just going to preach the gospel to the guards. Regardless of what has happened to me, I'm going to make it work. Because what God has called me into supersedes my circumstances. It supersedes the consequences. So I'm going to figure it out. Okay, so all seven up on the screen one more time for us. Um, are there any conflict admonitions from Scripture? What are people saying? What's your wise counsel saying? Are there any promptings from the Holy Spirit? What would be the most spiritually advantageous decision? What's going to make me more like Jesus, make me more holy? Do circumstances line up with the previous questions? Are there any negative or harmful, irreversible consequences? Once you've made the decision, can you make it work? And guys, this might, you might need to tweak this. You might need to narrow this down. Some decisions, you're only going to need to look at one of them. Some decisions, you're going to need to kind of dig through all seven. But I promise you this, if you implement these and practice these, you're going to find your, your day-to-day life and walking through those major decisions. It's not that they're going to be easier to make because sometimes the decision that is very clear and right in front of us, it's just uncomfortable and we don't want to pull the trigger. We don't want to fully commit to it because it intimidates us for some reason. It's going to help us find the solutions more clearly, more quickly. It might not make it easier to make the decision to actually, like I said, to to put a green light on it. Um, But hopefully this gives you some tangible tools as you're trying to process, God, what's your will for me? What's your plan for me? How do I work through these major life choices and decisions? What, you know, my direction in all this? hopefully at least gets you to start thinking, man, I need to start being more intentional in finding a wise counsel and specifically going to guys and say, hey, listen, um, I just want to know that in times of difficulty, I can come to you for advice. I can come to you and, and, and kind of give you my thoughts and sit down with you. Maybe it's as simple as looking at things and going, wow, I very rarely do I ever ask the question, hey, is going to see this movie going to help me be more like Jesus, or is it going to hinder me? Constantly listening to this type of music, is it going to progress my holiness, or is it going to hold me back in that regard? So guys, I hope this has been beneficial for you. It's, it's kind of given you some direction with some of those decisions you got coming up, or, or that you're in the middle of right now. Um, sorry we went a little long tonight, but let's go ahead and pray together, and uh, we'll hang out, enjoy some time together. Father, I praise you. I thank you so much for the fact that your word is truth and that through your word, we can process through the stress and difficulties of life and the decisions, the day-to-day, the big things, um, whatever it may be, but you provide us a a path. Your word is a light into our feet, a lamp into our path. Um, You provide us a way to walk through the chaos and the craziness. Um, But Lord, would you help us to lean in to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives personally and trusting that it's filling the people around us, our wise counsel, that you would help us to turn to the word 
to know what we believe as far as the black and white and kind of digging in and studying in the areas we feel like are kind of gray. But Lord, would you give us the boldness and the confidence that in those difficult moments, when the consequences seem terrible, when the circumstances don't make sense, when you don't even know how you're going to make it work, but you've called us into something. You've called us to something greater. You've called us to pursue something that ultimately brings you glory and makes your name known. Would you give us the confidence and the boldness to ignore those consequences? To look at the situation and say, forget the circumstances. And I don't know how it's going to work, but I know God, I know you got it. So Lord, help us to lean in and trust you. But we thank you for providing us this truth to help us in our everyday walk with you and in our decision making. So we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information on the Young Adult Ministry, follow us on Instagram or you can email youngadults at cornerstonelive.net.